Welcome everyone for a pilot episode of an old episode of what was supposed to be a podcast, but now it's a new podcast, Designated Drinker, Drinkers, with your host, Ambrosia and Severin, and we are here today for our pilot episode, and we're going to talk about Malort. So, in real life, this was already something we did Maybe, how long ago you think that was, Ambrosia? Seven years ago. Seven years ago. Oh, she has it down. Sorry. Um, podcasts were still a thing, were, were a thing then, they're a thing now, and we just didn't get a chance to get together, but now we're here, we have a studio, we have Fire and Iron Media behind us, backing us, and we are off to the races. So, with all that being said, I'm just a talker. Um, the real person, the real star of the show is Ambrosia here. So Ambrosia, why don't you introduce yourself to us? My name is Ambrosia and I have been a bar professional in Chicago for quite a while. Quite a while. I like it. And I like bar professional. That's pretty, that's pretty dope. I never heard that before, but first time for everything. Professional drinker. Why not podcast about it? Why not podcast about it? So Designated Drinkers is the name of the show. Um, we're going to give you all our information on how to contact us a little bit later on. But like I said, this is our initial run out the gate that will actually be out into the world for listening. One thing that I think will be cool is when we find that old episode, we can put it up just for fun to see kind of if we changed or anything, but I think I still got it somewhere. It's somewhere. It's somewhere. So we'll find it. Uh, designated drinkers, the podcast where we deep dive into drinking one libation at a time. Oh, you even got the whole saying. I'm with that. I <laughs> forgot about that part. We, and we talked about this um, before we didn't have a um, pre-show meeting, but we had a little talk, a little conversation. I've been trying to get Ambrosia to come on for a while. And she came on my show, Department 3C Presents. And I said, this was really fun. Why don't we do this again in our own form, in your form, actually. Um, Ambrosia's going to have other guests come on, and she's going to talk about all the booze ever. Um, she's very knowledgeable. And... What she has to bring to the table as far as alcohol and drinking is just beyond measure. She knows a lot. She knows a lot of people here in the great city of Chicago and beyond. She knows people all over the world, actually, because she travels to do the same thing. So I travel for booze. Yeah, she travels for booze. She's a bar professional, for real, for real. So all of that being said, let's talk about our... Libation for the day. What do we have here? This is Jepson's Malort. Jepson's Malort. That was the real clink of our glasses. And it tastes Malorty. It tastes like Malort. It tastes like Malort. So we had a huge, we had a, a lot of notes before. So let's go through and get to the who, what, where, when, why, how. All right, so starting with the history of malort itself, uh, it is a Swedish word meaning um, wormwood, essentially. It's a moth, uh, I forget the exact translation from Swedish. Uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a Basque branvin, uh, and so it can also be pronounced Basque, depending on where. And it is a spiced Swedish liqueur flavored primarily with wormwood. Okay. Um, 
so that's the the who and what kind of what it is. Now, what is the reason that we're doing Malort? Well, I think it's a great first episode because it means a lot to us. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to you. I think everybody in Chicago has a Malort story. Everyone remembers their first time. Uh, some of us drink it for f- enjoyment. Uh, some people drink it as a gag. Uh, some people drink it as a dare, as an initiation. It has a culture on to its own. Now, we, we're talking about from a Chicago standpoint, and that's the city that we're podcasting from. And I am not from Chicago originally, but when I got here approximately 11, 12 years ago, I was given what's called a Chicago handshake in a bar. And can you explain to us what that is? Chicago Handshake is a can of Old Style, which is not actually brewed here, and a shot of Malort, which is now actually distilled here. Okay, now that's a little change from before because in addition to this, see how good my memory works from seven years ago, when we were talking about Malort before, I think it had moved to Florida, Mm -hmm. and they had like a Malort commercial that was pretty cool. I think we were going to add the... um, the links in the podcast notes. We'll see if we can still do that again for this time. If they're even still up, I don't know if they're up or not, but um, it was a guy just pretty much drinking Malort and getting hammered. The more and more he drank, he kept making commercials for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we, we'll get into that with the history later, but uh, can you tell me the first time you had Malort? I can. Um, here going out, um, had just moved here and I was somewhere up North because that's where I used to live. And, I saw the sign that said Chicago handshake, five bucks. I'm like, Chicago handshake, five bucks. What's that? Um, Asked the bartender. Bartender threw a shot of Malort in front of me with that can of old style beer. I drank it and was off to the races. And what'd you think? I did not think it was the worst thing I've ever tasted. I'm pretty adventurous when it comes to pretty much everything. Um, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm not scared of much um when it comes to things like that so i said oh i didn't ask for another i'll tell you that but i drank it and didn't think it was the worst thing i ever tasted now in addition to that um again got to keep going back to that podcast from all those years ago we had some other ones to try as well we had a bevy of malorts or what were they called besks yeah yeah well we can get into that with uh, with the history. Let me, let me just roll into some of this history here. Okay, go ahead. So Jepson's Malort uh, was started pre-prohibition. And actually, if you look at the the label itself, the stars on the Chicago flag, uh, there are only three of them. Right. And that is because it was made before the fourth star was added. That wasn't added until 1939. Okay. Do you know what the other stars are? Um, not only the stars, but the points. Um, count for something too. So uh, I'll be impressed. I don't know the points. No, <laughs> I just know that they count for something. Um, I know we have the blue for the lake in the in the color of the flag. The white, don't remember, and the red. But isn't the isn't the red part of the lake as well? It's the rivers. It's it's the, the river the, going through. Mm-hmm, yeah. The rivers. Okay. So uh, the first star is for the Great Fire. Yep. The other star is the World's Columbian Exposition. Okay. 
The other one is the Century of Progress Exposition. Okay. And then the first star uh, is for Fort Dearborn. Fort Dearborn. Okay. And like I said, I even know the points on there are supposed to stand for something else in addition to. But thank you. Now we got a little homework. I'm I'm usually the one that does all the homework. Now you came (laughs) pre-prepared. See, that's a bar professional for you right there. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, Yeah, so Carl Jepson started the company uh, back before Prohibition and um, ended up uh, being able to sell through Prohibition uh, and then uh, as a medicinal um, product and then uh, sold the recipe to a guy called George Brood in 1949 and uh, they produced it here in Chicago. Uh, It wasn't until... Uh, 1999 that it was sold again to a person called Patricia Gablick, um, and she moved production down to Florida, okay. in South Central Florida, about 70 miles inland from Tampa. Okay. Uh, and that was the big controversy, because Malort has been known, but it hasn't really started to regain popular culture until about the 2000s, and the biggest critique was is that it was never made in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so in 2018, Jepson's Malort was acquired by Chicago uh, CH Distilling down in Pilsen. And they started production. And um, in 2019, they started to actually produce it here. They started making Malort back in Chicago. Now, I have a question that I w- wanted to know. I, s- I have why. So you said that he was able to sell through prohibition. Why is that? Because it's medicinal. Uh, in the 70s, there was a big campaign that it, this could help with menstruation cramps. Uh, if you look at the list of, of the health benefits of wormwood, uh, digestion, uh, the list just goes on and on in ailments. So not only was he so small and kind of like just selling it out of a backpack and going door to door, kind of mm-hmm. went under the radar, mm-hmm. but it, it was considered more medicinal than it was alcohol. Okay. So we got the why more medicinal than alcohol. He was able to sell through that time, and that's pretty awesome. That's pretty dope of him. Uh, a lot of different, what would they call medications back then, were passed off as medications, but they were really just kind of, let's hang out and have fun, like Coca-Cola, um, Malort, for instance. And I'm sure there's more listeners that tell me more because, I'm sure we have some smart listeners out there. I mean, Laird's was able to continue with brandy production because it was medicine. And um, there was a, uh, I would rather not drone on about prohibition. Maybe that's a whole other episode. But uh, temperance movement was started here in Evanston and all the religious uh, prudes thought that alcohol was destroying the family unit and destroying society, and uh, they thought by outlawing it, it would make all of the problems go away. Turns out it made them worse. Good old Levinston. Mm. And that sounds like kind of what we go through now. Um, If you say it's bad, no good, and keep up the racket about it, then it'll go away. And as we see with everything, that doesn't seem to work. It just doesn't. It just doesn't work. You, You would think one would learn, but oh well. No humans. We're, we're here. So in 2010, uh, a guy called Sam uh, Meckling, who throws the best Halloween parties, by the way, uh, he started a fake Twitter, not a fake Twitter account, but a Malort Twitter account and started promoting Malort all on his own. So he got uh, reached out to by Patricia and was like, you can't do that. And he's like, I can, though, if you hire me. Okay. So she hired him and they got their first rep 
in 2010. Oh. And you can see that that's about the time that it started to become super popular. Okay. And that is around the time that I got to Chicago. It was around that same time. Okay, cool. Now, I was gone for the for the reboom of Malort. I left Chicago for quite a few years out in Buffalo, New York and Toronto, Ontario. And uh, I had been reading about it and been coming up on all of my news feeds and I'd you know, I still listen to WBEZ even when I was in Buffalo because <laughs> my heart has always been in Chicago and always will be. And I was super pumped when I was going to move back. I was like, oh, I'm going to find Malort. I can't wait to taste it because I'm a big fan of Amari. I love Italian Amari. And these are all bitter liqueurs. This is not a new thing. This right. is, I love bitter. Mm-hmm. A lot of, I eat grapefruit like they're oranges. Like I love bitter tasting things. So I was super jazzed on it, and I got back here. I was here scouting out apartments and jobs to move back, and I went to the the new Chicago diner. <laughs> it's not new anymore, but <laughs> I worked at the original Chicago diner, so I went to the one in Logan Square, uh, and they had Malort, and I was so pumped, and I was like, give me Malort, give me Malort. And they're like, have you had it before? I'm like, no, but I've been reading about it. And so they poured it, and with bated breath, watching me take a sip, and I took a sip of it, and it was just, slightly bitter it wasn't gross or disgusting i was disappointed i thought i finally was going to meet my match so it wasn't bitter enough for you no it wasn't and now this is what i drink if i go to a bar and i don't feel like drinking beer they don't have good cider which is 90 percent of the bars here in the city uh, i just drink malort just drink malort neat yeah a lot of places actually refer to me as the malort girl the Malort girl, okay. Because I just drink it. That doesn't sound like a bad thing. I'm with that. Oh, I'm into it. Now, another question, like I said, we had this conversation some years back. Let's talk about the different Malorts or the different Besks that exist. Yeah, so in 2014, uh, Jepsons decided that they were going to send out a cease and desist to the other two distillers in Chicago that were making a Malort product, uh, saying that the name was theirs. So there are two companies that were making it. Uh, Leatherby, uh, they um, they had the, it was called Malort, and then Few out of Evanston, right. they were also making one. And we had these, uh, and I was looking for them at home, but I drank them all because that was seven years ago. So shocker. Um, but uh, so the Leatherby, uh, what they did in reaction is they just changed the name completely. They changed it to uh, Besk. Um, our, I think our Franklin Besque is what they called it. Um, Franklin's the middle name of, um, Robbie who produced the recipe. Uh, he was from the Violet Hour mm-hmm. uh, and they started making that in 2013. I love that Malort. It is the bartender's Malort. Now which the, the Besque, that's, that's the one. That one, I remember tasting it was a little sweeter, sweeter than, um, the, the sweeter than, this Malort, the, the Jepsons. Definitely. Definitely sweeter. Um, they do a third of a pound of sugar for every bottle in the Besque. And you're going to get a lot of notes that you're not going to get in Jepsons because they are bartenders and they make beverages for bartenders. It's much more balanced. Uh, tasting notes of spice drops, Thai basil, grapefruit, uh, bitter cinnamon, citrus, chinchona. Uh, chinchona is another bittering agent just like wormwood is. Okay. And uh, the finish is not as long. Um, it, there are other things going on in there besides the wormwood. Mm-hmm. With Jepsons, it's just just wormwood. Just wormwood. Now, that's something when we get down the line and we start tasting other things. We had a brief segment on our show before 
where I am a super layman. I don't know anything about anything when it comes to alcohol. So I would taste it and make up all this stuff, and Ambrosia would amp me up like, yeah, go, say more, more, more. I'm like, it tastes like a goat who just walked down the street on his hind legs and then had gloves on and he yelled at somebody because he had a vocal cord malfunction and just made up all kind of stuff. And and we're going to get to that. We're going to do that later on in another episode. So you have to come back to hear those unique descriptions. That's what I'll call them. They, they can get really outrageous, especially I, I drink, I, I taste a lot of wine. I'm a wine buyer. And I'm, I'm drinking, tasting, not drinking, spitting, uh, about 30 wines a day. Wow. And these tasting notes can get absolutely outrageous. Some of my favorite ones are um, uh, cut garden hose. Cut garden hose. Fresh tennis balls. Fresh tennis balls. Mm-hmm. I'm with that. Okay. I oh. had a tasting note one time that was, I think I'd said this on the other podcast of, uh, Burnt garlic bread in the middle of the cleaning aisle. See, that's Walmart. what I'm talking about. At Walmart. Can't be at Target. Nope. Because Target is bougie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with that. Yep. <laughs> um, now, let me ask you a question about the tasting notes. Just a little detour off the subject. Are they giving you the tasting notes or this is what... Where do these tasting notes come from? So, you can get tasting notes from many places. I write my own most of the time. Uh, when I'm tasting anything, I'm just digging through my, my mental catalog and and pulling out things that I'm getting, uh, especially when you're tasting something that's completely unique. Like if we're doing a, a single barrel pick, like if we're buying a barrel mm-hmm. of whiskey from Weller, there are no tasting notes on that because nobody's opened up that barrel and tasted it yet. Okay. But if you look at a lot of websites, uh, most alcohol websites, if they're good ones, and if you're in the trade and you're listening to this, you better have a trade and media section if you don't, I curse you. Uh, and in the trade and media section, it actually gives you shelf talkers, text sheets, tasting notes, aromas, uh, things that they want you to get out of their product. Now, again, layman here, what is a trade section? Trade section is for professionals that sell or buy that said alcohol. Okay. And so if you go into the trade section, it will tell you uh, things like residual sugars, pH levels, um, where the, if it's wine, where the grapes are coming from, how old the vines are, what the soil type is, uh, different things about that vintage, uh, all these things that we need to know as professionals. Consumers don't really need to know these things. That's why it's a, a trade and media section. But we need to be able to uh, understand a little bit of a higher level uh, to know what these products are. And they also give you things like shelf talkers. So if you go into a grocery store or a liquor store and uh, you see there's a, a label, it'll have what it is, the year, and then it'll give you like a brief description. Right. Those are called shelf talkers. Okay. And so in the trade section, you'll have useful things like that. Uh, you also have uh, photos. So like photos of labels, of bottles that you can use on your site. Uh, journalists use this section a lot. Um, the way to get a big appeal to any sort of... Um, wine or food writer is to have a good trade section because they'll just go there. They can answer all their own questions. Uh, you'll have things like beauty shots. So again, going back to a winery, like pictures of the vineyard or pictures of people pressing the grapes with their feet or <laughs> whatever you want to get out to the people that are buying and selling your alcohol. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for um, letting us in on that. Now in your, we were talking about other malorts. We, 
brushed over a few. And it's like very ironic that Evanston was the place that the temperance movement started and now they're distilling um, liquors. How's, how's that work? Yeah, so uh, Evanston is the home of the Women's Christian Temperance Union and a longtime home of the suffragists and prohibitionist Francine Elizabeth Willard. Phew! Bam. <laughs> so Paul, I think his birthday was a couple days ago, actually. Uh, the founder, he named it after her. That's pretty awesome. It I was like the first that. distillery opened since Prohibition in Evanston. Good for him. I'm with that. Good yeah. old Evanston. So uh, their more is uh, it's a grain-based spirit, um, and uh, they add a bunch of different uh, um, like Moroccan kind of spices to it, cinnamon, ginger, peppercorns, uh, and they don't add any sugar. Um, so it's not technically a liqueur, um, but when they got the cease and desist, what they did is they just took a permanent marker and scribbled out the word malort on all of the bottles. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Because I remember we had that. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was pretty funny. That was yeah. pretty That was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, it's called Anguish and Regret is the name of their best. And um, you get uh, some slightly sweet citrus, uh, buttery, long grasses, uh, eucalyptus, uh, it's a very drying in the mouth, um, and that cinnamon comes kind of back through. And then uh, you get this saltiness on the finish, which I really like about their product. Now, out of the three, I don't remember which one I liked the most. I just remember the best one had the most sugar. Because I remember when we tried to put the cap on, I think you bought me one and you had one yourself. And when I tried to put the cap on, it was like crystallized mm-hmm. because of all the sugar that was in there. Um, but I don't remember which one I like the best. But I know the one that is the most popular and the one that you see on the shelves the most, and that is the one that we're having, we're sampling today, the Jepsons. Yeah. And uh, just to follow up through that lawsuit, Sazerac actually got involved, and November 3rd, 2015, Jepsons, Carl Jepson secured the trademark, so no one else is allowed to use the word Malort. So, um, again, layman here, what's Sazerac? Ooh, <laughs> Sazerac is the biggest thorn in my side right now, actually. Um, and I will try not to digress on Sazerac because they are... That's what we're here for, digress. They are doing this horrible pay-to-play that everyone knows about and is completely illegal and nobody wants to talk about it. Sazerac is... So we've got these big beverage companies, right? Right. So Diageo, massive. Diageo owns... Tanqueray, Gordon's, Captain Morgan, Ronza Kappa, Don Julio, Cuddle One, Ciroc, Smirnoff, Johnny Walker. The list goes on and on and on. They own all of these brands. Bailey's, Guinness, they're huge. Uh, Pernod Ricard is another really big one. They own Martell, Beefeaters, Havana Club, uh, Havana Club outside of the U.S. Bacardi owns it inside the U.S., uh, they own Absolute, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. Sazerac owns Buffalo Trace, so that is your Pappy Van Winkle, Eager Rare, Weller, Blanton's, uh, Barton's. But they also own things like Fireball, Southern Comfort, Peychaud, Nova Fugo, which is a cachaça, and Wheatley Vodka. And so in order to get your allocations of things like Blanton's mm-hmm. and Eagle Rare and Pappy, in order to be able to even purchase them, you have to have, there's this point system that goes on. Okay. You have to sell X number of products from the Sazerac portfolio. And the more points that you have, the more of these allocations that you can get. So there's a bar in Wicker Park here in Chicago that has one of the best Pappy collections because they sell cases upon cases of Fireball. 
<laughs> okay. Well, now nah, I see what you talk about with the pay to play. Mm. So that, yeah. that makes sense now. Big thorn on my side. But Sazerac is one of those big companies uh, that uh, has a big buying power. They have a lot of money behind them. Um, another big company that owns a lot of things, Beam Centauri. Um, they own your Basil Hayden's, Jim Beam, Maker's Mark, uh, Brown Foreman. They're Jack Daniels, Woodford Reserve. Woodford, yeah. uh, then you have Campari, who owns Wild Turkey, Russell's, uh, Vierna Chinar, Aperol, if we're talking about all of those um, Amaris that I referenced earlier. And Bacardi, they own Grey Goose, Dewars, Angels Envy, Martini and Rossi, uh, Doucet, Bombay, Patron. Uh, the list goes on and on. So so at the very top of this game, you have these massive conglomerate companies that really control what is getting trickled down into people's mouths and the wide availability of it. Uh, something that I try to do very hard is practice buying from family-owned. Okay, I'm with that. Now, what's – well, this is a regular question, but um, I kind of already know the answer, but I'll shoot it out there anyway – What's the advantage of buying over a family-owned versus one of these conglomerates? Well, it's a double-edged sword with the conglomerate. Some of these conglomerates, like uh, Sazerac, they bought a small tequila uh, that is woman-owned, and they actually do a large portion of their profits to an organization that helps battered women. Now, with them signing on with Sazerac, that means that they can get on a world platform and get distribution and importation into multiple countries that wouldn't have happened before. Right. Sazerac is also supplementing their costs. So they're actually able to put more money into their infrastructure and to the community around them. And so that is a good thing sometimes. And sometimes it's, it's nice to go with those things. But when you're working with a conglomerate, a lot of, of these, these false uh, capitalistic, uh, problems start to creep up okay. uh, with the with such a big company. Small voices don't tend to get heard. Uh, you get into a lot of uh, racial, uh, homophobic, and sexist problems because usually the people that are at the very top are straight white men who are making all the decisions. And if somebody's complaining, any part of the company, that's usually going to not be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're dealing with family owned, it's just it's more personal uh, and you can really dive into the passion that somebody is doing. Somebody doesn't wake up one day and decide that they're going to open up a distillery. (laughs) That is, there's no, there's not a ton of money in it unless you sell out to a very large company and their blood, sweat and tears uh, and the family getting in on it and uh, really pouring their heart into it is something that I personally feel more of a connection to right well like i said that's kind of a, a layup question but you know you get a more personal feeling a lot of times from when you deal with anyone that has a family-owned business like this is our business for real we're running this for real this isn't just a job and a lot of times with certain people will depend on what they do is just a job so i understand exactly what you're saying and that's that's really cool um some of the things that do get a chance to go on the thing that i notice is it's kind of like, I think it's a movie on Netflix, Beer Wars, mm. and they talk about how they try and buy up all the beer, and now they're trying to buy up all the cider, and they just, these companies are like just fighting to buy up everything. AB and Bev. And then, when they buy up everything, everything tastes eerily, eerily similar. 
Well, they have to control their product, right? And when you're doing something on such a large scale, consistency is very important, especially to a lot of consumers that don't understand fluctuation in product, especially when you're dealing with agricultural products. Okay. Uh, so when you're dealing with wine, cider, agave-based uh, spirits or, or fermentations, it's going to change with the climate. It's going to change from year to year. But uh, these mostly boomers see it in some uh, Gen X, some millennials, it's getting easier. Gen Z is going to be great for this. Uh, being able to step outside of the comfort of your brand uh, or trying new things or understanding that things can vary from batch to batch. And that's starting to become more prominent with uh, consumerism, uh, which is, is fantastic to see. But when you have your Budweiser in California, you want it to taste exactly like the Budweiser that you're getting in New York, the same Budweiser that you're getting in England, the same Budweiser that you're getting in Jamaica. It all has to taste the same because it's that brand. And that is what they have to use is that name of that brand. So it's like Coke or Pepsi. Yep. This, 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 it's the same thing. You got Pepsi people, you got Coke people. So Which means nothing because they taste exactly the same. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree <laughs> with you on that one, especially from someone who has such an advanced palate such as yours. But, yeah, no, they, they, they taste different. I mean, the older I get and the more I eat and taste and have everything, I even can taste, taste the difference in different bottled waters. Like, yeah. um, I can taste the difference between tap, bottle, where the tap came from, um, Absolutely. But if you're trying to be a connoisseur of pop, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> well, you're gonna waste your time hey, on dying on the hey, on the hill of Pepsi. There are some there's people, a whole new world for you. There are some people who don't indulge in spirits. I'm not talking about just spirits. And that may be their only outlet is to be a pop sommelier. Not a thing. There, there are milk some. No, no, though. no. There, there, there. I'm sure that, that everything you think there isn't, there is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a pop, pop connoisseurs out there having <laughs> pop parties. It's a guy I work with. He will not drink any pop other than RC cola. Oh, that's that's what I drink. Grew up drinking my grandma had rc we weren't allowed to have pop in the house but my grandma had rc and i always thought it was a treat yeah that's 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 all you say coke pepsi even worse rc yeah <laughs> thumbs up so uh well there's one more thing that i definitely wanted to touch on uh and to make sure that we we cover when we're talking about malort is wormwood specifically okay let's get let's get into that what do you know about wormwood um well, I have to reference back to my podcast again. I had my um, workout buddy on there, and he's really big into nutrition and working out and digestion and everything. So every morning we would come into work, he had a little tinker of um, wormwood. We would shoot it, like, come on, take some of this, take some of this, wormwood, cayenne pepper, um, some kind of other oil, and we would shoot it. And I'm like, the first time I had it, I'm like, oh, this is Malort. And they said, Malort, what's that? I said, oh, it's this liquor. It's a, um, you know, it's a Chicago thing. Well, he's from Detroit, and he never heard of it. And then I got to be a little bit racist here. He's black, 
and they don't usually have, not usually, they don't have Malort in black bars. I'm adventurous, yet again, I go to any bar ever. If I wanted to stay and see the same stuff I saw all the time, I could have stayed at home. So that's why I came here to explore part of the world. So that's why I got to see Malort. But he, um, he's, he never had heard of Malort before. And I took him to a few bars where they had it. He said, oh, yeah, this is the same thing. And he, I got another Malort drinker now. So what do I know about Warm Rib? Sorry, long way around talking around a story. Um, great for digestion. Um, it's not always alcoholic because, like I said, we were taking those shots um, in the morning before work. And that's the major thing of what I know. Great. Do you know anything about hallucinating? Absinthe. All right. But that's go. a whole nother episode. It is a whole nother episode, but absinthe is made from wormwood. Okay. The biggest difference between absinthe and malort is that malort is primarily wormwood, whereas absinthe has star anise and a couple of other botanicals in it. But it's essentially the same thing. I always say malort, well, this malort, and it doesn't taste as much as it used to. It tastes like drinking a flower. Mm-hmm. It, it, it tastes like if you had a bouquet of not roses, but just bouquet of flowers in wind, springtime, now. White flowers, purple flowers. Yeah, purple flowers. Purple it flowers. just tastes like you're drinking some flowers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So uh, wormwood was traditionally used medicinally in Europe, uh, and it all goes back even further to that if you're looking at the um, Middle East, uh, where most things came from, 1600 BCE. Uh, were the first times that they were um, making references to it by soaking wormwood in wine to extra- extract the, the digestion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's recently come back into the American diet. For a very long time, there was a ban on absinthe and wormwood specifically. Um, uh, and that is a different episode, but the, after the bans started to go in at uh, the beginning of the 1900s, uh, we didn't get ours back until 2007. Uh, it wasn't until a scientist uh, te- t- uh, tested some pre-prohibition uh, or pre-ban uh, absinthe and found that it was actually thujone-3-free. Thujone is the compound that people had claimed that was in wormwood that would make people hallucinate. Claim. That's like that movie Euro Trip when they drank the um, absinthe and then they were they were seeing... Um, That's one little, of the reasons why I cannot watch that film. Little Martian Green Man was running around having fun. I I don't remember it very well, but I just remember that part. Right. So for years, people thought that absinthe made you hallucinate. And what the scientists said was because it was from the wormwood. Isn't um, artist cut his ear off? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Did you say that already? Mm Mm-mm. Okay. Um, Van Gogh. Van Gogh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I mean, most of the artists during that time they were drinking absinthe, yeah, because it was a poor man's drink, because it's 110 proof, and it's really cheap to make because it's made with a, a neutral spirit base, and it's just a bunch of herbs and botanicals thrown in there. Uh, and so it was surpassing wine because it could get you it could get you fucked up quicker. Okay. Uh, but there was also other diseases running around. Uh, there were ha- toxic metals in a lot of things that people were eating and drinking. Um, there was poverty. There were so many other factors. And so, yeah, the, bo- the Bohemian uh, the Bohemian period was um, definitely influenced by consumption of absinthe, but you could just take absinthe out and replace it with any high-octane spirit, and it would have produced Same results. similar results. Okay. Well, I think... You made every point that you wanted to make on um, 
Malort, the one question, well, not the one, I have other questions, but one of the questions I want to know, where can we get Malort? Everywhere. Where is everywhere? <laughs> I mean, they have it at Binnie's. Uh, I sell it at the Fountainhead Market. Uh, you can get it at, uh, I'm sure, Mariano's. and Jules Jewel. has it. Everybody's got it. It's it's a staple. Uh, it's it's everywhere. It's oh, on the north side anyway. Now, we have three. Which which of the three would you suggest people try? It depends on the application. I think you should try Oh, that's all another great question. I think you should try all of them as well. You said it depends on the application. Um, what can you make with Malort other than just Malort Neat? Yeah, there's great cocktails. Um, I used the uh, the Leatherby Besque to do a Calvados and uh, Malort cocktail. Uh, it was called the Northman Handshake. Um, balancing it out with sweet, uh, balancing it out with fruit. You can basically use it in any way that you would use any sort of bitters. And most drinks have a bitter base to it. Well, that sounds awesome. Well, for a pilot episode, I think this went very well. Um, we will get to you with all of our socials and all of our other info that you're going to be getting from us. So let us know what libation you think we should dive into next. Um, please reach out to us, comment, ask questions, anything at all. You can reach us at designated drinkers podcast at gmail.com. I know it's generic right now. We get up and get it going one day, but that's where we're at. We're on Instagram at the designated drinkers. We're on Twitter at drinkers podcast, and we still working on Facebook right now. Yeah. We may not even do it. It's, it's, it's on me. I, I, I'll get it going. <laughs> um, and so, the website's designateddrinkerspodcast.com. Ambrosia will have a website going for us. What's the name of the website? Designateddrinkerspodcast.com. Okay. And we're going to talk about the booze that we talked about. Um, She's going to give you some cocktail recipes. Just spill some more of that vast knowledge that she has in that brain and give you all the information that she can. Um, let us know what we can do better, what we can do worse. Just let us know anything. Feedback is what we would love to hear from you. So, And I, I don't want to hear on any, from any of the Malort haters. I mean, we don't need any hate. Just love. Just love. Well, I'll take it all, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> With that being said, we're going to get out of here for this episode, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>